Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series. Series 8, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with the Living Geeks, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness and the weird world in which we live. And of course, we want to remind you that we are not and probably will never be experts in the topics we discuss. We may miss bits of research. We may misspeak at times. But we will also always encourage you to do your own research, vet your own sources, and come to your own conclusions. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how you doing? Greetings. Good evening. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah. Um, I'm well. I'm well. Um, June has been kind of a busy and chaotic month. Mm. Um, I think uh, um, my friends who are, are in the know would be like, oh, well, it's been Mercury retrograde. And um, yeah, if that honestly is you know a bit of a thing and i'm starting to think it is that explains a lot of june Mm. um now unfortunately folks you will notice that um our good friend john is not with us this month he is he is back in town he is uh done with assignment uh that he had to uh take care of but he did also just have his little pup camilla spayed and uh apparently kind of keeping the dogs chill right now is taking a bit of effort so uh he sadly will not be with us this month uh we're going to make sure to get him back next month um because we've got another great topic coming your way but surely um, somewhere bob barker is smiling yes i <laughs> <laughs> yes because pets got spayed or neutered that's absolutely right i wonder if bob's still with us i hope he is i i'm pretty sure he is oh good for him i don't seem to remember hearing news of his passing but i i don't know off the top of my head i wasn't prepared for this question tonight um, <laughs> <laughs> um so Seb, tell you what, let me ask you something. Is is anything making you happy right now? After getting through this kind of chaotic month, is there anything that's just like, you know what, here's a good thing that's going on in my life? Um, well, I mean, I, I, was, I think it was a nice way to end out the month with um, having the government release uh, a little, little UFO report to look at. Oh, yes, that's uh, right. That dropped uh, yesterday. Right. And, you know, when I say report, <laughs> I mean what seven to nine pages something like that uh, it's I mean, it's nine pages but two of them are appendices right. so i'm calling it seven pages. seven pages um and yeah it was um shorter than i expected i definitely had longer book reports in the fifth grade than i think uh i was. i definitely did Right, right. I definitely did. That's true. Um, I It's about what I expected it would be, quite honestly. Okay. Which is to say what? Which is to say um, uh, the government going, um, yes, there are weird stuff in our skies. We're not totally sure what they are, um, but we, we need to study it more. Right. Um, now, honestly, you know, you can kind of take this a couple of ways. Like, Anybody who is sitting there going, oh, it's going to be disclosure. Oh, they're going to be like, look, it's been aliens the whole time, whatever. You just, you you were hoping for the horse on Christmas and you you got the toy horse. You know, it's it's not, it's never going to be 
you know, what you want it to be, if that's what you want it to be. But for what it's worth, I, I will say this. I, I appreciate the fact that they're like, look, um, we're looking at, you know, this particular sample size. They didn't try to go back and like look at stuff from 1947. They didn't try to go back and like look at stuff from Blue Book. They looked at just stuff. I think it was between maybe like 2004 and 2021, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you've got a sample size of 144 incidents. Um, in what was unclassified, right? Obviously, we can't speak to what was classified or the length of that document. You've got 143 of those 144 that are still technically unexplained, Mm. right? One was a deflating Batman balloon. Mm. Um, So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I wish I wish they I, I kind of wish the report had like specific details, like color commentary about specific incidents, I guess. You know? Right. That would I would Im- I would imagine because this is the US government looking at these cases and these are incursions into um, you know, military exercises and stuff. I I would imagine the classified report probably has a lot of that detail. Mm. that's complete speculation on my part Mm -hmm. um but that would be my guess but yes the 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 unclassified report really didn't have any of that kind of stuff but what i do find interesting is that and let me see if i've got this bookmarked real quick hold Mm. on okay um i should have tried to pull this up faster if i thought um it was going to come up no it doesn't look like i bookmarked it no but what I do find interesting is that not long after it came out, um, one of the uh, higher ups at the DOD, I think it was the DOD, um, said, OK, look, this is a serious enough issue that, you know, we need to um, a study it more um, and kind of be standardize the reporting mm. of these incidents and so has said we need a bigger team to handle this so we are putting in for more resources and manpower to handle this and um you know kind of made like a uh, mandate for lack of a better term that within two weeks of an incident happening uh-huh. that you know they want a report filled out and on their desks so they can study it. Right, right. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think for me personally, there were two main takeaways. One is, well, maybe three, I guess. But, I mean, one, obviously, which has been said by everybody, is, you know, the biggest takeaway is not so much what the report said or didn't say, but just the fact that there's a different ad, it seems like, in the federal government to dealing with that this topic, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not maybe poo-pooed as much anymore. Um, the, the second takeaway, I guess, just that there was an article within the past month in The New Yorker. I mean, we talked about the classified portion that we don't get to see or whatever. Um, that article blew me away. There, there's one part when they talk to a unnamed Pentagon source um, who's, who talks about some evidence they have that I would have to guess was in the classified part, mm-hmm. including crystal clear spy satellite footage of a giant equilateral triangle emerging out of the ocean, you know? 
I I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah. And I, like Dogie Bear, I would love to see that. And I'm sure I'm sure the reason it's classified is not because it's so weird, but just because you know we don't want to reveal how good our spy satellite you know visuals are or you know resolution mm. or whatever you know. But that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's. But I mean, ultimately, at the at the end of the day, it's weird. I don't think that um, the quality or the quantity of the sightings is any different now than it was 50 years ago. I just mm-hmm. think it's just that what's changed is the um, establishment reaction top. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's a very uh, fair assessment. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know uh, everybody everybody out there who is kind of you know pushing the UFO narrative is um, out there for altruistic means. There certainly are plenty of hucksters and hoaxers that are still out there trying to make a buck. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm always going to encourage, you know, um, common sense and caution when kind of like listening to people go off about it. But, you know, that's the world in which we live. There's lots of people going off about just how they feel about things and how they're important in it in some way, shape or form. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, I would say, you know, one on the one hand, a lot of the same, a lot of there's the, something is happening. We don't want to know what it is. Um, but then a lot of, you know, on the other hand, there is a, well, this is something that is coming into our airspace. This is something that poses a threat, poses a hazard. Um, we want to take it seriously. Um, we need to standardize some stuff so we can actually, you know, kind of really look at, uh, what's going on. And, and hopefully that is going to pan out into, um, you know, something more definitive. We'll see. I had, I'll tell you, I had a lot more fun waiting for the report than I did reading the report. I mean, just <laughs> even though rationally I realized, okay, this is probably going to be anticlimactic. I mean, there was still the little kid inside of me that was just like, wow, it's probably a week before disclosure. This is going to be amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get it. I, I can relate to that in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe the future will hold an entire episode on, you know, how the government is currently looking at the UFO phenomena mm-hmm. and who knows, comparing and contrasting it with how it was in the past. I'm not good at coming up with show topics uh at almost nine in the evening anyway let's talk about anything weird that has happened to us uh in the past month uh seb anything kind of strange pop up on your radar um just a couple things i mean i've been working a lot lately on our family tree um and just learning more about our eighth time great grandfather uh, okay he was a a soldier in the Swedish army during the Thirty Years' War, his name was Johan von Becker, and he was part of the uh, the forces at the Battle of Prague that captured something called the Devil's Bible, the Codex Gigas, wow. okay, which is the largest extant medieval illuminated manuscript in the world. They took it back to Sweden, where it resides today. Um, it's probably most famous for having a really huge, creepy image of the devil illuminated on one of the pages all right um and according to a medieval legend the scribe was a monk who broke his monastic vows and was sentenced to be walled up alive in order to avoid this harsh penalty he promised to create in one night a book to glorify the monastery forever including all human knowledge near midnight he became sure that he could not complete the task alone so he made a special prayer not addressed to god but to the fallen angel lucifer asking him for help to finish the book in exchange for his soul the devil completed the manuscript and the monk added the devil 
Beatles picture out of gratitude. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so just, you know, learning about more about Johan. Apparently, after the 30 Years' War, he was unemployed, so he got hired by uh, Oliver Cromwell to go kill Scots, which is kind of... What? Uh, I mean, not necessarily the nicest thing, I guess, but uh, hey, it is what it is. I guess you know it's the gig economy of the the (laughs) 17th century right right um how about you any weirdness going on or you know honestly not much uh june was a very busy month for us both with the the kids kind of finishing up the school year uh amber finishing up the school year um you know i work is continuing to be busy but you know the the gal that i worked with who retired we've got the replacement starting soon um i've managed to (laughs) injure myself in the past week uh but but that is that is on the mend um so yeah there wasn't really anything weird i didn't have any ufo dreams i didn't hear you know footsteps in the hall um but a little bit more than a week ago i did watch a pretty crazy uh traveling museum of the paranormal and the occult live stream in which they um uh had all the members for like a week focus on a review a remote viewing uh location string of digits right so it's not like focus on this particular place it's like literally focus on these numbers like a like a gps coordinates sort of but 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 a GPS coordinate gives you a place. This is literally just a number. Just focus on the number. Oh, okay. Um, that number is tied to a place, but you don't know that. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's you're literally just focusing on a number. Right. And a time and a date. Um, and so what they were trying to do is trying to actually summon a UFO. Oh, no way. Um, and so, one, and one I'm just going to say, if if you're not... Uh, uh, a fan of the 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 traveling museum of the paranormal occult definitely check them out uh the paramuseum.org i believe um and uh i would say support them on patreon and definitely check out their live streams because they are insane there's actually one going on right now as we speak Hmm. um but literally the live stream starts with them absolutely convinced um that they have lost time oh wow um, like they were, they were going to a very specific spot. They knew where it was. They had it up on the GPS and they somehow ended up three towns away. Uh-oh. And they're like, there's no way we could have ended up three towns away in like, you know, the 10 minutes, hmm. you know? Um, and so there was all sorts of confusion. There was craziness. Like the, the clock in their car was not the right time. You know, and so it was really kind of strange. And there's a a lot of us are still kind of trying to uh, kind of study up on what may have happened and everything. Um, So, yeah, it was it was just wild to watch. It it was just it was bonkers. Wow, that sounds awesome. It was truly bonkers. Uh, It was one of those things that when they when they actually did get to where they wanted to be and kind of got into um, an Estes session using a Frank's box, um, they were they were getting stuff that was kind of on the level of that Estes session they did in the train tunnel where they got the tones. It's, it's that kind of just like, Whoa, okay. This is some big crazy stuff going on and it is just weird. Um, So that was obviously not something weird that happened to me, but it was something weird that happened and was at least fun to watch. You know, speaking of which uh, I'm just really going to quickly throw this out there. I didn't put this in the show notes, but 
talking about weirdness, um, one of my coworkers has just recently began a blog called oh. um, Motherlode Highway. And what, okay. he's going, what he's doing is he's going up into the gold country and photographing and writing about some of the oldest stone buildings up there, a lot of which are allegedly haunted. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so maybe I, I can we can add that link in the, the show notes for the folks out in Radio Absolutely, Absolutely, yeah. Make, make sure I, I get the link and I'll toss it in the show notes. That's so awesome. Folks, check, check that out. Very cool. Uh, especially if you live here in California and you like doing some road tripping. Totally. Now that things are kind of opening up a little bit. <clears throat> All right. Well, this month we are talking about one of the most legendary um, what encounters of high strangeness. Emphasis uh, on high. Yeah. Eh, I would also I would also emphasize strange. Totally. But that's just me. It's not like there was weed involved. Um <laughs> We are talking about the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. Right. Uh, and I've got a feeling we're going to kind of meander all over the place mm. when it comes to this topic. Um, but on the evening of August 21st, 1955, the tiny town of Kelly, just above Hopkinsville in western Kentucky, the Sutton family had an encounter that would radically shape their lives in the field of ufology for generations to come. Diminutive creatures, the number varies based on who you ask, approached the small Sutton farmhouse. The Suttons, like many living in remote areas, were quick to defend themselves from these visitors. But what played out next defies physics in many ways and leads those of us who study this event to continue questioning the nature of the phenomena as we try to determine exactly what happened during the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Goblins? Spacemen? Fairies? Ultra-terrestrials? We're still not sure... So grab your thinking cap, your 22, and maybe a tin can, and let's get into it. Oh, boy. How excited was I when we decided to do this episode topic? This is amazing. One of the weirdest, I mean, it's even debatable whether or not this incident, like you said, falls into the realm of UFOs and close encounters, or just what the heck is going on here? It's, yeah. There's there's so much to try and unpack, and there's, um, I feel like this is... I, I would almost say one of the best documented encounters up to a point. Okay. Up to a point. I think I think once once you get kind of into like that next morning, the morning of the August twenty second. Right. Anything found, right, kinda goes out the window because as as we'll talk about it, um, you know, their property was inundated with people. And so if you're looking at this from like a forensics point of view, you've just completely contaminated your quote unquote crime scene. Sure. Yeah. Um, But from the start of actually, I mean, our main source was a PDF copy from the QFOS website. uh, And we'll throw a link to that in the show notes. So you guys can check it out of the 1978 book encounter at Roswell or (laughs) God dang it. Encounter at Kelly. Roswell will be an entirely different episode, possibly even series of episodes. That's for another time. Um, although, strangely, it was 1978 that I, I I know that, you know, Roswell did kind of come back into the public consciousness. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting correlation. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's... Uh... 
I totally agree. I, in starting research for tonight's episode, there were so many different places to start with and to look. At first, I thought, well, maybe there's a, a Blue Book report on it. And then it was unclear whether or not it, he, it had even formally been part of the Blue Book uh, investigation. Uh, right. Finally, we found Isabel Davis's, as you said, Close Encounter at Kelly, published by the Center for UFOs in the 70s. I thought this was the best resource I was able to find during this time. Um, it, the, the, the meat of this book from the 70s is a, an investigation con- conducted by Davis, what, about 10 months after the incident in the 50s? Yeah, and that, that's what I love about it, is even though this wasn't published until 78, the, the interviews and the stories um, that Isabel Davis collected yeah. were from about, um, I think it was June of 1956. Okay. And, and not only that, but she also included a lot of information gathered by a local um, radio station employee. I think his name was Bud Ledworth. And he, mm. um, he was on the site investigating and interviewing members of the family within 24 hours of the event. Um, yes. So it was very... It felt that it had an immediacy, which I really appreciated for research purposes. Yeah, and there there are some great diagrams of like the layout of the property, right. the layout of the house, um, you know, uh, positions of people uh, during the incident. Um, you know, the the sketches that Bud Ludwith had done um, of the uh, of the creatures. Um, there's there's a lot of good resources, good images and stuff that kind of help give you a really great picture of what apparently happened yeah. uh, on this day in 1955. Um, and then, of course, there's... Mm, I don't even know where to go with this, really. Um, one of the things that Davis includes is... Um, stories from like, uh, for example, there was a state trooper, um, who apparently had seen what he reported as some meteors flying overhead, right? Mm-hmm. Heading in the same direction that, um, and w- we'll introduce him here, Billy Ray Taylor, who is part of the Sutton family, right? Saw, you know, a bright silver disc with rainbow exhaust, <laughs> Because apparently it's Pride Month for the for the ultraterrestrials. I don't know, um, but you know, I I approve their life choices. I support them. Um, it, it was all heading from the southwest to the northeast, hmm. and so this this state trooper had also seen what he reported as some meteors flying over, um, you know, making like artillery fire sounds and and whining and you know not sounds that i would imagine meteors make but i don't know i haven't really seen that many up close but again it's stuff that's moving kind of from that south southwest to that north northeast direction Mm -hmm. um so round about seven o'clock on the 21st of august billy ray taylor is out uh on the sutton farm getting some water i believe and he sees this disc and it's going kind of again southwest to northeast about 30 to 40 feet overhead and it slows it comes to a stop and drops to the ground in like a gully so he can't see it on the ground Mm. it's it's down out of sight but it's it's from what i've read it's about 1500 feet away from where he is so it's actually on the neighbor's property right it's not even on their property it's on the neighbor's property and so billy ray taylor goes inside and he goes oh my god you guys I totally just saw a UFO fly over and it landed out here in the gully. And unfortunately, as is, I mean, I would almost say is, is often the case in some of these 
you know, stories is that the first person to witness it ends up being the most unreliable mm. narrator of of all the witnesses involved. Billy Ray Taylor is a bit of a jokester, it turns out. He likes to tell stories. He likes to embellish. So they laugh him off. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice one, Billy. Good job. Yeah, yeah. All right. Did you, did you get me some water, too? Or whatever. Um, so then 8 o'clock rolls around. And, and this is August. So it's still kind of a little daylight-ish at this point, I think. Uh, one of their dogs starts barking at something out the back door. Um, and then freaks out tail between his legs. And he's like, no, whatever is out there. I'm not having any part of it. And, um, there is a glow in the distance. And so then one of these creatures, right? About three and a half foot tall, right? The ears, the long spindly arms, everything that, that, that you've seen in the pictures probably approaches the back of the house, hands raised up in the air. Okay. Now being good, good Kentucky boys. First thing they do is they grab their guns. There is something unusual on their property. Right. And having having visited parts of Tennessee, um, I, I can vouch for you that some of these properties are so far apart that if you suddenly had somebody walking onto your property, you're going to go, you know, what are you doing here? And, you know, kind of being ready to kind of defend yourself and your property. Hmm. I get that. I totally get that. So here's here's where it starts getting weird. Creature gets about 20 feet away. Right. Right here now, now it's starting to do weird. So Lucky and Billy fire on it, right? Yeah. And in and I'm 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 trying to use their descriptors as accurately as possible. The creature does a flip, gets to its feet, and scurries off to the side of the house. Yeah, but it's oh go go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You know, please, please interject. I mean, uh, this is probably a detail that that you know comes later in the story, but there's I mean, I almost can't decide what's weirder: the physical description of the creatures, or like the way they move and run, and like they have these really weird tiny legs that don't seem even like they're just like matchstick legs, but they have these like huge muscly not huge muscly arms, but very long arms with like talons or hooks at the end of it, and right. When they run, it's almost like they're they're running with their hand or something, you know? Yeah, that is that's um, one of the weirdest things is that um, you know at at no point like again jumping forward to the next day they're talking with Bud led with they're they're describing them and Bud is sketching these out. Nobody can recollect what the feet look like. Yeah, totally. Um, and right, but they they do say that they were very inflexible. So when it tried to run, yes, it was using its its hands and its arms more for propulsion. Right. So it's like walking on its hands. And I mean, my first, I mean, I I first read about this case in some you know trashy books that I got when I was a little kid back in the nineties. You know it was I'm the saying? best kind, right? Right. Um, and. You know, my, my first reaction is, okay, they, at first I was like, okay, they sound like your t- typical gray alien. They're kind of short. They have big, large heads. But then it's like at that after that point, it's like things go off the rails. They have these, oh, like, completely. They have these huge eyes, which is like, okay, that sounds like a gray, but they're like not in the front of their heads. They're like on the sides of them. Right. And and they're they're round. They're not almond-shaped. Right. They're round eyes, big round eyes. Um, in fact... Davis almost goes on to suggest that they may have been like super light sensitive, trying to like stand sort of. Right. Um, yes. And for me personally, like the weirdest physical trait are the huge floppy ears, which are yeah. just like, I mean, here's the thing. I'm not a UFO expert or anything, but I really wish, and maybe there does exist such a resource. I really wish there was some sort of book or website or something that took all of the, you know, quote unquote, 
close encounters of a third to categorize them. So it's like if I wanted to learn about every other alleged UFO into somebody with an extra or, or just any sort of bizarre, huge floppies, I could instantly bring that up. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, like some sort of taxonomy. No, I get it. Some some sort of searchable database. Yeah. Of, <clears throat> you know, what tags would you use for Hopkinsville? Okay. Um, you know, you you would tag Goblin. You'd tag Floppy Ears. You floppy would tag ears. Talons. You would tag... Um, carnies. Carnies. <laughs> carnies. Yeah, right, right. So whatever whatever terms <laughs> maybe describe the creatures, although I'm not sure that our, our visitors were necessarily carnies. But, but it doesn't this incident sort of it's almost historic in a sense because there's always the joke the always the um the, the the joke or the trope that you know the aliens are always visiting people on the lower socioeconomic scale kind of thing in <clears throat> areas and this sort of like almost encapsulates that maybe it's almost like the source of that well i, I mean i don't know about the source of that but that is a good point um i'm going to i'm going to make the hellier connection here because okay. um you know uh if if you watch um if you watch Hellier and you, you get into the second season, they, they talk about liminal spaces. Mm. Um uh, spaces kind of in the in between, both in kind of a, a physical construct, you know, um like hotels are liminal spaces. People are always coming and going from there. Mm. Um but also um, you know, people who are kind of on the fringes of regular society. Mm. Um poor people. Uh, homeless people, um, you know, people who may go from job to job to job or may who may move around a lot. Those are all kind of liminal um, situations. And it seems as though the phenomena tends to prefer the liminal. The, the, the phenomena likes to, to expose itself, not to sound dirty, um, to people in liminal situations mm. that i think is in part why you know you get these people who make this just general assumption that well yeah you know aliens are just visiting you know hicks in the backwater mm. you know um and but i think if you look at you know a, a broader scope of ufo um cases mm-hmm. um i don't know that it's necessarily just you know rural folk who are having these experiences but if you're looking at this as maybe this is that first one that kind of kickstarts this idea yeah um i could kind of see that because this is this was a very um uh very widely reported story in fact this is the story that coins the term little green men right i mean i totally see what inaccurate you're though it is Exactly, because they weren't really green um, and yeah. not very manlike. But yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's it's interesting. I mean, it, in one sense, you're completely right; it is very liminal. But at the same time, I was really surprised at how much the Hopkinsville area is sort of. There is a lot of, for lack of a better, like supernatural goings ons there. Just from a little research, um, for one thing, it turns out it's the hometown of a real famous psychic by the name of yes. Edgar Casey. Yeah, yeah. Ed- Edgar Casey's from Hopkinsville. That's absolutely correct. And one of the things that I stumbled upon in our research that actually just stopped me cold dead in my tracks because I thought it was so weird, like the date of the goblin sighting was mm-hmm. the same date of the recent total solar eclipse. It was, I think, in 2017. 20- 2017, thank you. 2017, yeah. So not only was it the same 
state, although it was obviously different years. But Kelly, Kentucky, just a couple miles away from uh, another site based on the path of the moon at the time in 2017 was the spot states where the eclipse was at its max. You know? Yeah. So it was like um, it was like Grand Central Station for the big show. Yeah, um, that is one of those things where you go, wow, what are the odds of that? Yeah, it totally mm-hmm. funky totally funky Um, no very very true um so you know something that's worth noting you know i i made a point of looking of um um how far off the 37th parallel Mm. right everybody talks about the 37th parallel being this kind of hotbed of ufo activity right um and it's i mean it's it is it's close enough that it i think i think you've got to go maybe maybe six more miles north before you hit the 37 so it's like you know 36.9 it's like super close yeah it's it's basically there like by comparison like hellier's at 37.2 so it's it's all kind of in that zone right as it were um so let's talk about kind of some of the other motion um that um these creatures exhibit because um what happens next is that uh lucky and billy uh go to run out the front door Mm -hmm. um up on and there's a picture of it in encounter at kelly because in my mind i picture a much bigger um kind of uh uh, roof over the front door Mm. um and it's it's actually it's very small you know I, i i picture like what we grew up with at our parents' house, and there is there is a big multi-foot, you know, uh, I keep wanting to say awning, that's not the right word, but, you know, uh, roof over the front porch. Mm-hmm. Um, this looked to be maybe a foot or two. It's a very small overhang. Um, but apparently one of the creatures was up there, reaches down, tries to grab Billy Ray's hair. Oh, yeah, totally creepy. Like, I, I don't know if this has ever been made into a feature film, but totally the creepiest part of the whole... I, I don't know that I would say feature film, but there has been a film okay. All right. made. Um, and I, I want to say it's on YouTube somewhere. I can't remember exactly what it's called. But um, that aside, um, you know, obviously they freak out. They run out, turn, shoot this creature. Right. Um, now, let's pause on the fact that you shoot these things and it sounds like you're shooting a metal bucket we'll get to that um so this this particular creature gets shot flips over the lodgepole right at the top of the roof right um it there's one this is the only time where you see more than one Mm -hmm. yeah that's okay exactly yep this is worth pointing out yeah right at the same time there's one like perched up in a branch in a tree mm-hmm. that one gets shot and floats to the ground right so not only do they apparently appear to be impervious to you know basically point blank range gunfire right but when they fall or jump out of elevated spaces they fall to the ground at rate of descent that doesn't correct yeah right if a physical body at three and a half foot tall i mean let's just say even these spindly guys let's say maybe they're 20 pounds right right just 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 for sake of argument right 
a, a 20 pound weight falling from a tree is not going to float to the ground. And I think it's really important, the point you made about the fact that this was the only point where more than one were time, because these creatures, however many there were, you know, were so um, insistent upon visiting the, this family mm-hmm. that, you know, over the years, tales have grown up of maybe there were nine or a dozen or a lot of basic. But right. It and might it, have just it, been a couple that were very persistent, I guess. Yeah. And I don't even know that it took years. I think some of the earliest news reports... Mm you know, completely inflated the number. Right. Um, and, and, and I, I think, you know, even, even when people, obviously, you know, I, we pick a topic and I'm like, okay, let me go find a few podcasts mm-hmm. to listen to just to kind of get the gist of things before I go and do deeper research. A lot of them say that, oh, these creatures besieged yep. the farmhouse. And I, I think that is a, a very um, inappropriate term to use i don't think they laid any sort of siege no. they they're at no point even in davis's reporting of this encounter did did anybody say we were being attacked yeah you know it's i mean the 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 part about the grabbing of the hair from the front porch is mm-hmm. probably the only part that even could remotely hostile which i don't think it was hostile in fact it's really interesting that apparently whenever the creatures attempted to approach the house uh, mm-hmm. they all had they always had their arms raised there and and the quote that they gave in the book they, they say quote as if someone had told them he was about to be robbed you know so i imagine yes. like with the arms up which i mean as far as i'm concerned that's the international sign of i come in peace right right um, mrs langford who was at the the house that night she was basically the matriarch of the family um you know she felt that according to davis's book that the slow approach of the creatures and the raised hands meant that the creature trying to establish uh, communication um and she and there's this one quote she says i kept telling them to come into the house the other members of the family and shut the doors quote she said to me, the things weren't weren't trying to do us any harm or weren't doing us. yeah um, which is like um, I mean, let's assume that these creatures were from another planet or another dimension or something like that, right? I mean, if they are coming in peace, I mean, how much does my heart break that they they, 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 they chose a house of well-armed carnies to visit who are, you know, going to answer the, you know, the I come in peace with like a shotgun blast to the forehead, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, this, there's this one part when I think it's, I think it's, I don't know if it's Lucky or if it's um, one of the others, but there's on page 38, there's this one little, one little quote and she, and the, the guy says, quote, mama, I'm going to shoot that little man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, that's like, that's like, I want to get, if I ever get a tattoo, that's what it's going to say. I just, wow. And it was because it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, don't shoot him. It's like, you know, he's... He's just a little dude, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's so. no, it's but but it's weird because yeah, you you've got you know you've got kind of their testimony of events to go on, and it it definitely sounds as though <clears throat> these these creatures, um, because I'm not hundred percent convinced they were aliens. Um, you know, we're definitely not coming in any sort of attacking sense, right. um, and. Even even when they did get shot, yes, impervious, um, yes, would flip over and somehow you wouldn't see their feet still. Um, and they would scamper off and they would come back. It's not like, oh, well, shoot, I'm shot. Let's let's get out of here. Right. Right. They kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. But at the same time, the fact the fact that they they float, 
at one point there one of them is on the kitchen roof gets shot and floats i kid you not 40 feet to the back fence right right like i i can't think of another case off the top of my head where you have creatures exhibiting this kind of behavior and this this kind of ability yeah it's almost like you know the 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 laws of reality or physics are being warped at this moment in time well yeah um i I mean when when jay allen hynek wrote about this case briefly um, and got the decade wrong i'd like to point out yes he did he wrote it that it took place in like 1965 or something yes i'm Um, like oh my gosh really but it's interesting because i one of he he specifically states that he did not consider this case to be close encounter of the third kind primarily because so much of what was being described just didn't seem to line up the laws of reality like the fact that something be shot at a point blank range and not be injured or that mm-hmm. like you say they could float out of the air in a way that gravity wouldn't suggest was possible you know what i mean so yeah it's almost yeah. like something beyond just the normal and i say normal you know encounter with an extraterrestrial you know could could encompass right so let's talk about the sound they make when they get hit yeah for sure because this 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 gets this is weird. This was a part I thought that you got really excited over. I yes, I I there's and there, because there is one bit of text that I didn't remember hearing anywhere else, but then of course re-listening to um, the Astonishing Legends podcast talk about this, and I had listened to it. I mean, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they do mention it, oh, okay. so I'm like, okay, well, I have heard this before, but it's clearly been a long time, and I've forgotten it apparently. But yeah. When these things are shot, it sounds like hitting a metal bucket Mm -hmm. or a tin can. Um, Now, could it be armor? Sure. Um, Maybe, again, we're getting into some, like, weird-ass John Keel territory Mm -hmm. where, you know, um, at one point in one of his books, he's relating a tale about these animated tin cans running around. Maybe this is that same kind of thing appearing to this family as... Right. Maybe this this quote unquote goblin is is a projection into their minds. That's what they are seeing. Mm. But maybe they are just these, you know, tin cans running around. Well, well, I'll see your tin can and I'll raise you one because not only are you correct in, in, in the fact that they described the sound of the gunshot hitting the creatures sounding like the gunshot hitting a pail or a bucket or a tin can. But at one point, I think on page 30, one of the witnesses, I think. Um, Mrs. Lankford, she she described the creature as it looked like a five gallon gasoline head on a small yeah. leg. So yeah. not only does it sound like a can, but she's describing it as look the creature as looking like it, which yeah. I thought was. I mean, I had to Google the phrase five gallon gasoline can because I was trying to figure out like, okay, what would a gasoline can in 1955 actually look like? Because it's like the idea of a creature looking like a gasoline can doesn't compute in my mind, you know. I I, I get that, and and I love because she even describes it, and that's exactly where I was going with this quote. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, is that it was also shimmering bright metal, like on my refrigerator. Right. There was. Um, but I, I at one point um, many years ago, because uh, obviously having an old car, I liked collecting old things like coolers and gas cans yeah. and stuff. I had. Um, a gas can from probably the 1940s mm. and it is round and cylindrical okay, okay. right 
a modern gas can, um, well, a really modern gas can is going to be plastic, but um, a slightly more modern gas can, like a jerry can, is going to be uh, rectangular. Right, right. Right, which is what probably a lot of people picture. But you go back, you know, I, I'm sure a can from the 1940s probably looks a lot like a can from the 1950s. It's going to be cylindrical. So what's going on here when Mrs. Langford sees this? Now, it was also, correct me if I'm wrong, Mrs. Langford who is saying, well, you know, just close the doors. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, um, come, come back into the house, the boys. Vo- the voice so, of reason. <laughs> well, now, funny you mention that. So I'm, I'm, I'm running completely on an idea here that, that I have not had before this moment. Okay. So let's say for whatever reason, because there have been instances of um, extraterrestrials, ultraterrestrials, whatever you want to call them, um, being able to project a voice into a person's head. Mm, Right. Right. Okay. So let's say that for whatever reason, um, they are projecting one, they are projecting the image of the goblins as we're going to call them, into the heads of everyone there. Okay. Right? Um, Which may also explain why we have no idea what their feet look like. Mm. Projected image, right? But they're also trying, trying to project into Mrs. Langsford's mind that they come in peace. Mm. And now, for whatever reason, maybe she just doesn't want to say, I was hearing voices in my head, right? Because think about it, mid-1950s, and you're telling people not only that a UFO landed in your backyard and these, these diminutive creatures came up to your farmhouse, but then you were saying you were hearing voices in your head, you would be in a mental institution in no time. Right, right. Okay? So so let's say that she didn't want to cop to the fact that she was hearing voices in her head, but okay. she was, and she was going, look, these guys are coming in peace. Just, just come inside, everyone. Let's <laughs> stop shooting at them. Right? But at one point, at one point during this, yeah. that... Um, that perception filter, as it were, of the goblin disappears for her. And she's like, it looks like a five-gallon gas can as shiny as my refrigerator. Maybe that's what's going on. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, uh, I mean, there's multiple accounts in Davis's book where they're described as you know, having the color of like a silver metal. You know? mm-hmm. um, on page 29, it's, it gets really into it. It says the creatures were the same color all over. It says, in the dark, this was a phosphorescent or luminous glow. But when a light was turned on, this seemed to change a dull metallic look. And then yeah. it says, it gets really interesting. It says, um, you know, the body surface gave the witnesses the impression that it was skin. If it was some kind of spacesuit, as has been suggested, it covered them completely. And then this is, <clears> the, this is the kicker. The glow of the bodies increased shot at, which I thought was... Yes. So maybe, like, um, <coughs> if, you know, if... if you know, I think, you know, assuming this event really occurred, right? I mean, you're leaning towards the ultra-terrestrial creature hypothesis. You know, for the sake of tonight's show, I'll lean towards the extraterrestrial creature. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm thinking that these are creatures that are just as frail as humans, but they're wearing some body armor or, or maybe even some sort of, like, weird personal force field that... You know, when bullets impact, it causes them sort of glow like that, where, you know, absorbing the kinetic or something like that. Okay. Um, I, I'll i run with that idea. Yeah. Um, I, I Actually, I think that is an interesting idea, but I, it's also worth noting, in speaking of luminosity, yeah. that <clears throat> after about 11 o'clock, 
when the Sutton family is, is so freaked out at this point, they hop into their two cars and they bolt for the sheriff's office. Right. Um, and not only does the sheriff come back, but I think some state troopers, I think some uh, military police from nearby Fort Campbell show up. Um, there is suddenly like a glut of like official people showing up. Um, one of the things that they do discover on the ground is a luminous patch, mm-hmm. right? So now we have um, independent observation of something, something glowing mm-hmm. on the ground, right? Right. That says to me that that something I couldn't tell you exactly what, but something was there. Yeah, Davis's book is really, you know, one of the best interviews or interview subjects in her book was the the local Hopkinsville uh, Greenwell, um, mm-hmm. who was there that night um, with this crew of people looking around, poking around. Um, you know, uh, one of the things you picked up on was the fact that he himself had previously had a UFO uh, encounter or witnessed UFO. Yeah, yeah, in 1952, which was another huge flap year. Um, and yeah, you're right. <clears throat> I mean, they, you know, all of these investigators came out, you know, couldn't find any creatures, um, but found a patch. Um, of course, as you mentioned at the top of the show, you know, there was one law enforcement, or maybe two law enforcement officers who that day had witnessed usual, you know, aerial activity or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's this one one part which was great when they talk <clears throat> about at some point, you know, one of the officers steps on a cat's tail and the cat screams oh. out, and everybody pulls their guns out of their holsters. You know? Right, everybody's so on edge. They're all so on edge, you know, which would have been, you know, if there's ever that movie made of it, it would be a, would be a great funny part. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that's another thing, too, because so oftentimes we read about encounters with aliens or extraterrestrials or whatever you want to call them. You know, they show up. Somebody witnesses weird stuff going on. They go get the police or whomever. They come back. They can't find anything. And that's how the story ends. Right. But this story doesn't end that way. <laughs> which is no. Another, another I, one it, of the it, things that makes this just so crazy. Exactly. Right. They, 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 the, the, the goblins, they basically, they're like, oh, man. The cops are here. Quick, everybody hide. Right, everybody Lay low. Hide. Yeah. The cops leave let's and they're float like, away. You know, float yeah, right. Let's just leave. float away. Float yeah. away. <laughs> right. And then and then and then the cops leave and the MPs leave and everybody leaves and it's and it's just the Sutton family and they're like, all right, shoot, it is. It's you know, it's after midnight now. Right. You know, it's well after midnight. Let's let's try and get some sleep. And sure enough. They come back. <laughs> they totally come back. <laughs> They're like poking in the windows and yeah. Oh my gosh, so creepy. Now again, poking in the windows. You go back to first episode of Hellier when they're talking about like the David Christie email, and here are the these you know hairless you know smooth looking goblin type creatures coming up to the windows. What is it about the state of Kentucky? Kentucky is weird. Kentucky is weird, dude. Kentucky is very weird. I know some people who live in Kentucky and can vouch for that weirdness. <laughs> in Somerset no less. Um and it the that I don't know there's something about I think the the stone in that's like some of like the oldest like stone in our or continent, I think something like that. Um, so yeah, there's that. There's obviously all the courts uh, things that you hear about through the guys at the Penny Royal. But here's something interesting. Here's something that I only noticed when I was putting together my part of the show notes. Mm-hmm. Right. So this encounter starts basically round about sunset. Mm-hmm. Right. The sun's just going down. Right. The it's reported that 
they left about a half an hour before sunrise. Mm-hmm. So about 4.45 in the morning, they're like, all right, we out. Yeah. Right? So this was literally a sunset to sunrise event. From dusk till dawn. From... <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it like that, but that's a good point. Well, that, that might play into the whole light sensitivity thing that, that some of the investigators hypothesize. Yes, there there is that. There is definitely that to consider. And I've got two, I've got like two conflicting theories going on in my head. And I'm going to try to get both of them out right now. Okay. okay? So, so when I first started looking at this, right, and I, I grabbed the copy of uh, Close Encounter at Kelly and kind of started reading it, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I went... This this is a fairy visitation. Okay. What do you mean by that? Uh, okay. So, um, really, really long story short, um, look up the uh, a guy named Joe Simonton. Okay. He was a farmer. I don't remember what state. I don't remember what year this happened. That's why I'm saying look it up. But I remember the, the basics of the story. He's out doing his farmer thing. A UFO lands. These small people come out. And they want some water. Okay. Right? So they're asking for something. Right. right? He goes and gets this water, brings it back. Okay. And in exchange, they give him pancakes. Okay. Okay. Now, the funny thing about this is that he tries one of them. Yes. And they're they're a little flavorless. Oh, wow. Honestly, it's like, it's like they didn't use salt. Right? He actually, actually keeps them. Okay. Right? The Air Force tests them. What? I'm not joking. Are you making this up? I am not making this up. Okay. This is great. But so so some of what kind of factors into this, and I even reached out to, um, I'm going to say a friend of the show, Emily Morrison, okay. of um, uh, Wise Woman Witchery, um, because I said, hey, look, I, I know that you know um, kind of, a bit of fairy lore like if if fairies visit like what what are they looking for what would they want from someone because i was trying to kind of like go there's got to be a connection here um and and she came back with some some really good information and i couldn't quite fit this experience quite into that but there there was part of me early on that was going you know what man this just feels like you know fairies come rolling in right this thing's got rainbow exhaust yeah right right? and i'm like they're they're coming in i bet you they want something okay i bet you you know um, they keep going to the house they want something right right but but what i mean they either want to like yeah they want to yeah they want something because they keep going there do do they right right they keep trying they keep trying they keep trying they keep trying i don't think it's just about their vehicle's extended warranty um so after taking some time off and then coming back to the topic i'm like okay so maybe this really doesn't fit okay with a fairy visitation no well uh uh i don't know i still feel like parts of it kind of do okay and i'm still not entirely convinced that aliens and the fae and ultra terrestrials and whatever aren't all connected there's, somehow there's some sort of transactional nature there's something going on they yes. want something and they want something given in return you know right right um, right it's I, an interaction i will have to say probably for the rest of tonight's show it will be difficult for me to focus because now i'm thinking of nothing but space pancakes um, oh yeah okay so 
I, I, let's say let's say within the next few months we talk to Simonton. Okay, because because it's a great story. I want to know: Does the Air Force test them or taste test them? But we'll hold on for uh, another uh, future episode, folks. Well, yeah, we'll we'll save that for uh, for a spoiler. Um, so then I started focusing on the fact that the state trooper earlier the same night reported seeing these meteors. Right. Right. I keep coming back to this. Right. Because here is now a um, we'll say a third party witness. Yeah. Right. Not a member of the Sutton family, you know, w- wasn't connected to the encounter. This this obviously predates the encounter right. by a few hours. Same general area, though. Mm-hmm. OK. And while the elevation of these meteors isn't reported, I for some reason get the feeling that it's higher than 30 to 40 feet up. I mean, 30 to 40 feet up is not that high. No. Right. Um, I think if the state trooper had seen something at 30 to 40 feet up, it would have been a bigger deal. Right. Okay. And this is important. So here's my other theory, okay. right? I'm thinking on and a multiverse kind of ultra terrestrial kind of level. Okay. Right. We're on the 37th parallel. So what I'm thinking is that over time, right, between the state troopers sighting and Billy Ray's sighting, right, what we have is we've got like um, a thin spot between wherever these creatures come from and our world, right? I think what we've, for lack of a better term, like I'm going to do a terrible job describing this, but run with me just for a minute, Okay, is we have got this kind of um, ultra terrestrial highway, I'm just going to call it a highway, okay. right? Where their craft are flying along from what we would consider southwest, south southwest to north northeast, okay? Right, and it's a thin spot between their dimension and ours. Okay. So what's happening as, and of course, you know, galaxies and planets and everything's rotating. So all of this stuff is rotating, and and for a while, at one point, you can see between the worlds, and you see what these ships going overhead and it looks like meteors and they're way up high right but as things keep rotating right now we're getting on to about seven o'clock right and i'm i'm with my hand i'm making two things in like three-dimensional space rotate and rub against each other basically Mm -hmm. and so their dimension and our dimension they're now closer so the next time one of these craft is coming down this quote-unquote highway it is now from our perspective, as we're seeing through this kind of window area, it's now only 30 or 40 feet high rather than, say, a few hundred feet high. So there's this kind of motion, right, for the people in that dimension, for our goblin dimension, right? They're all at the same altitude. It's like going, it's like going down the street out in front of your house. But if that passed into another dimension and they're crossing over each other, a car could drive down the road, and appear 200 feet overhead in this other dimension. But a few hours later, a different car could drive down the same road and only appear 30 or 40 feet overhead in this other dimension because these two three-dimensional spaces are passing by each other. So for whatever reason, at this point, we've got the ones that actually landed the Sutton house, right? They okay. slipped through the window. Right. And they're like, whoa, wait, what is going on? Where are we? Right. We better stop and ask directions or right. whatever, right. right? So they stop, they get out, we have this encounter. Maybe, yeah. Um, I, I mean, mean <clears throat> I mean, I definitely think one thing that, one little factoid that, you know, Davis dug up and talking office that I, mm. I, I think supports the validity or the truthfulness of their, the, the account of the Sutton family fact that I guess 
on the drive back place with all the cops, you know, one of the one of the family members had like a heart's pulse rate was like twice like he was that jacked up adrenal. See, you man, know? I'm 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 gonna call some BS on this. Really? I okay. yes, this one in particular. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So okay. So I don't think this necessarily helps the case because I'm going to just and and again, I'm no expert. Yeah. But if I am riding in a car right at let's say 11:15 at night in a very rural area right there's not a lot of street lights there's probably not a lot of interior light in the vehicle but i can somehow look at a person's neck while driving at a high rate of speed and watch their carotid artery pulse enough to figure out that they have a really elevated heart rate something doesn't add up there yeah i don't know i guess in my mind i always just pictured like one of the officers touching his wrist and just like mm, that's not what's described that's not what's described oh, in the book okay. is that he was in the car and he was literally watching the guy's neck well you know that's interesting too and even if it even if it, he somehow was able to determine his pulse rate i mean i guess you could say that maybe he was i mean if you take the position that this whole entire episode was a hoax i mean maybe he was just had, had a high rate of you know heartbeat because he's lying to a police officer you know he's nervous well, about that you know <laughs> right i mean that's but that's i i'm i'm not inclined to say that this was any sort of hoax yeah i mean i think i think when i was doing the show notes you know there were there were things i picked up on in the book that i i almost kind of like put into two categories things that i thought helped the case things that i thought made it seem not so like you know yeah um, i mean no i agree let's let's talk about it yeah i mean i mean obviously you know until i invent my time machine i'm not going to be able to say definitively that i know for 100 percent certain that it was something that really happened or didn't you know yeah but boy, oh boy, I tell you, this would be a destination if I had a time machine. I mean, yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that helps is the fact that other people not in the family, including police officers, <coughs> as we've said several times, saw the quote-unquote meteors, which you're, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really like your, your hypothesis on that one. Um, there was one incident, page 61, they talk about residents of a farm about half a mile from the Kelly. Kelly mm-hmm. reported a rocket ship or flying saucer landing in a field about a half a mile from Kelly. Yeah. Um, uh, some of the things that I, I didn't think helped the, the case, um, there was uh, a signed affidavit by, by Glenn Langford, the matriarch of the family, where she she describes the creature as um, it looked like a monkey. Um, yeah. I mean, that, the, you know, Davis kind of tries to explain that away, and I think she does an okay job. Um, even if it was, I mean, let's pretend it was a couple monkeys that had sort of random traveling. I mean, that's the still thing, doesn't... Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. The thing is, the thing is, is people have tried very hard to find any sort of traveling circus right. that would have been traveling through there at that there, time. There's no, there's no evidence there, there's there was no a There's no evidence. Yeah, there's no evidence for a traveling let's circus. Let's make that really clear, for sure. <clears throat> let's just pretend magically that there was like an interdimensional circuit or something. Sure, I like that one better. I mean, even if even if it was even if it was a monkey or two monkeys i mean it's still high strangeness because they're defying gravity and you know you know bulletproof you know what i'm saying yes um, yeah right bulletproof flying monkeys right um one of the things let's um you know mrs L- and i know i know what you're gonna say based on your comments but you know mrs langford did state during the investigation that liquor was not allowed in the farmhouse um but you know, Bud Ledwith did notice a few beer, few beer cans in the rubbish basket the next day. Yep. Um, and, and, course, I, and I, you make the again, point that it's, you know, not necessarily hard liquor. You know what I mean? Um, right. Yeah. See, I, I, I would certainly argue that 
uh, from the point of view of kind of that culture at that point in time, um, liquor is more likely a reference to hard liquor, your bourbons, your whiskeys, stuff like that. Beer is often considered in a category separate from hard liquors. So I, I, I think that's a semantic issue. I did look up whether or not Christian County is a dry county or a wet county. It's actually oh, a wet county. So okay. That was something Good point. Good research. Um, <clears throat> uh, some of the things that I thought personally hurt the, the case, there were a, a couple um, examples of at least some members of the family, at least one member of the family, um, trying to um, make money off the case. Um, there were, you know, a few days after the event, um, signs did show up at the family house charging 50 cents to ad- for admission to the property, um, $1 for information, and $10 for picture. And at another point, one of the witnesses, Billy Ray Taylor, was reported to have taken money story. Yeah, um, well, Billy Ray is like like the one aberration in the Sutton family, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, even <clears throat> Ledwith talks about you know him visiting the family and trying to sketch what they saw within 24 hours of the event. Yeah. And even... Even in his book, he's talking about there was um, a soldier who had, from Fort Campbell who had heard about it, I guess, on the radio and just showed up just as a curiosity and was talking to Billy Ray and having, you know, Billy Ray sketch or describe nature. And Led, Led, it, it's almost, it, it's a really funny part of the book for me because Ledwith is in one room with some of the family members sketching this thing out. And Billy Ray's in another room with the soldier sketching this thing out. And there's just like, there's almost like two simultaneous dueling sketching parties going. On. Yeah. And at one point, Ledwith says something. He says, the sad part of it was that the soldier was swallowing hook, line, and sinker, all of the new details, the antennae on the head, the nose, a variety of other features that only Billy Ray Taylor had noticed. Taylor was thoroughly enjoying his popularity. Yeah. So he's, he's definitely someone who's embroidering, enjoying the limelight. And in that respect, arousing the suspicion of investigators, you know? Right. Um, because it, it literally, and it the same is true for, you know, ufologists on the whole. It only takes one who is, you know, clearly out there for the money and clearly out there just to uh, try and get popular off it. Right. To, you know, uh, take the shine off everything else. And, and one point that, that Davis, to her credit, and you also make is the fact that, you know, you could try to explain away the signs charging for admission as just simply their efforts, unsuccessful ultimately, to cut down on the large number of gawkers that are just showing up uninvited at their home and just like walking into their home, basically, to mm-hmm. poke around, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It sounds like I mean, it's they, quite they... a media circus, basically. Oh, it, it was. And, and these, these people had their lives completely upended. They're totally right? humiliated. It yeah. humiliated. I mean, we, even Isabel Davis describes when, when she first goes to talk to uh, Mrs. Langford, she doesn't even call ahead because they literally, they shut down. They didn't want to talk about this. No. They didn't want this attention. If this was a hoax, they'd all be Billy Ray Taylor. They'd all be trying to get the attention. They'd all be embellishing stuff. Right. right? This completely messed up their lives okay we 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 can't stress that enough so the fact that they eventually note not the first day they eventually put up a sign trying to charge admission is they're trying to discourage people they're like get the crap off our property let us go back to our lives fine you want to be here give us some money for it because you know what you're stomping all over our garden or whatever 
right? If it was a hoax, that sign charging admission would have been up that first day. And you wouldn't have had three of the family members drive all the way up to Indiana to pick up some furniture. I thought one of the weirdest parts of the whole case that's full of weirdness is the fact that some of the blue book documents that do exist about this. On one hand, the government, or at least the military, is saying, oh, we never formally investigate. But on the other hand, there's all this evidence that the military was super interested. So, mm-hmm. for instance, on page 40, Police Chief <clears throat> Greenwell, he states definitely that Air Force Intelligence Fort Campbell was, like, on the scene right away. Um, there's an account of a neighbor who went hunting with Billy Ray Taylor that Monday morning, and he said that during that hunt, Taylor watched two Army airplanes circling over the woods for some time. Mm-hmm. And the part that gets me the most is that um, the, 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 the radio station... Uh, employee Bud Ledwood. Um, he's he's um, he's almost certain that the first military he office spoke with on Monday the twenty second um, had this really weird name Ziba Z I B A Ziba. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the deputy base commander at Fort Campbell was a major Ziba B Ogden. So here you have the deputy base commander at Fort Campbell on the site that morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really really kind of funky that the government or the military is saying you know we really weren't that interested we didn't investigate and then like everybody. But he's there you know what i mean within 24 hours yeah um, no and and that i mean that i mean i think goes back to the very beginning of the episode when we were talking about how it's really kind of a big deal that the government has kind of turned around and says okay we need to take what we're seeing in our skies seriously mm-hmm. like and they're publicly saying that because you look back at this and they're like oh no 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 we're we're not interested no big deal and then behind the scenes they're like dude come on give me the Give me the lowdown. Mm-hmm. Give me all the details. Give me the sketches. Whatever you know, but don't don't say anything publicly. So, in 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 looking at the big picture for you personally, are you seeing these creatures as ultra terrestrials, and that's why they're not you know being wounded by the gunfire, and they're not finding footprints and all that kind of good stuff? I'm. <clears throat> What's your takeaway? You know the the fact that oh, man. You know, the f- <laughs> you know, you try to get me to put my finger on it, and it keeps moving around. <laughs> that that's what's happening right now. Right. Um, I think I think at the end of the day, I'm going to fall back to my like projection mm-hmm. theory. Um, because again, we've got sketches where nobody can describe the feet. We have story evidence that you know these creatures were on the roof. They were in a tree. They were scampering around on the ground. Um, I don't know if scampering is the right word, but I'm going to run with it. Um, But then we get no footprints. Um, And then, you know, the fact that Mrs. Langford sees a five-gallon gas can um, and then is also going, you know, they must be coming in peace, basically, right? All of this says to me that whatever it was that came in and landed... Um, you know, I'm just going to use the term ultra terrestrial because I, I don't, I think this stuff is coming through window areas. I don't think they're coming across entire galaxies. Okay. Right. Um, I think whatever it was, was kind of projecting this image okay. into their minds. I think that's what it was. Okay. What about you? Okay. So here's my theory. So if this really did happen, my theory is that they were good, old-fashioned, red-blooded American, nuts and bolts, extraterrestrial on the planet from our... I think they showed up. I think they came to the Sutton house in peace mm-hmm. and got, for all their thanks, shot at by Carney. <laughs> 
Right. I think, <clears throat> I think they were wearing some sort of body armor that also doubled as some sort of, um, not only did it have the ability to tell buckshot or whatever, but it also could alter creature's mass or gravity or whatever. So that's, okay. why, that's where the floating comes from. I think that at least one of the creatures um, may have been wounded, maybe mortally wounded by at least some of the shots, and that's what the luminous patch was. I think that was their blood or like oil or whatever, you know, whatever fluids powered them. I thought you said they were red-blooded. Right, luminous, red, <laughs> luminously blooded, I guess. Okay. Um, so I think it was wounded. I think it crawled off into the gully and died. And here's what I think happened. I think the military shows up. We obviously know the military. I think at one point they, the military actually finds the dead one. Couple. In fact, okay. on page 42, it says Mrs. Langford <clears> told <throat> Mr. Andre that, quote, someone had gone into the gully, come back with, quote, something in his hand. So there was an account of something they don't know what. I, I feel like, and I don't know if this is the example, but I feel like sometime that next day or maybe within the, the 36 hours kind of after the incident, mm. somebody had found like a piece of tinfoil on a fence. And it's like, well, okay, it may have been a windy day and tinfoil may have ended up there. I don't know if this is the same. I think that was, no, I think that was different. I think that was one of the reporters okay. who found a weird piece of tinfoil like on a, on a, a fence. Okay, okay, fair. Go ahead. My, my theory is that they retrieved <clears throat> the body. And then, here's the deal. The thing about this whole case that I think I always latched on to Big Floppy, because it's like, you know, you read all these UFO books or whatever, and you see all these description aliens, and you never see ears, especially Big Floppy. Right, because this is like the Dobby dimension. Right, and I'm only aware of one other incident that I've been able to track down that actually has a description of alien anywhere even seems remotely close to how these guys so my theory is that by the year 1973 the bodies that are recovered by the military in 55 have been transferred to homestead air force base florida okay now this this also doubles as your descent into the archives if i'm not mistaken exactly okay Okay, um, so so keep going, keep going. I like where you're going with this. So yeah, listeners to the show know that at, at the end I always bring up some random newspaper article to talk about, and this time it's not a very old article. Um, it's from August sixteenth, nineteen eighty-three, and it's not necessarily from a respected journalistic source. It's from a, a periodical known as the National Enquirer. Um, but this story has been so strange that I think this is a fitting explanation to the whole mystery that is just as equally strange because it oh. involves, of all people, the great one, Jackie Gleason. Not only that, but I'm, I'm noticing here this article was written by his wife, Beverly Gleason. Right. This is, yeah. This is, we've, we've talked about high strangeness on this episode. I think this is the great way to go out because it gets even stranger, folks. So let's go back to Isabel Davis's account, <clears throat> Close Encounter at Kelly. There's various different descriptions of the creatures. There's one account where one of the witnesses says the creature is about two and a half. There's other instances. Some people said three, some people say, but there's at least one right. that says two and a half. And the head was bald. All agreed on that. They had these strange triangular ears, large, floppy, wrinkled like leather. The ears were too big. So that's, picture in your mind this description, right? So this, let me read you some of this article. Please. So here we go. National Enquirer, August 16th, 1983. An article written by Jackie Gleason's ex-wife, Beverly, who was married to the comic from about 70 through 74. Um, this was basically going to be a part, she was going to write a, like a memoir, um, which I think was never 
actually public. Anyway, I'll never forget the night in 1973, my famous husband came home, slumped white face in an armchair, spilled out the incredible stories. He was late. It was around 11.30 p.m. and I'd been worried. As soon as I heard the, his key turn in the, uh, in the back of our golf course home, Invernary, Florida, I jumped to my feet and asked, where have you been? His reply stunned me. I've been at Homestead Air Force Base and I've seen the bodies of some aliens from outer space. It's top secret. Only a few people know. From the president, uh, but the president arranged for me to be escorted in there and to see them. The president at this time was rich, and he was actually really good friends with Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, even though the date of this supposed um, visit to Homestead Air Force Base isn't given in this article, there are other websites that do give a date for that this incident um and it's interesting because according to nixon's diary on the national archives website nixon was in florida on that day did meet with jack only a couple oh, miles away okay from, uh, homestead air force <clears throat> it was like a, right. some sort of charity golf anyway back to the article when i arrived at the base i was given a heavily armed military escort and driven to the building in a remote area we had to pass a guard at the door and then we were shown into a large room and there were two aliens lying on uh operating they were tiny only about two feet tall with bald heads disproportionately large ears they must have been dead for some time because they had been embalmed hmm. and when i read this i just the thing that first thing that popped into my mind was that sounds like the Kelly alien. They're like really short. They have these bald heads and these crazy large ears. And I have no evidence that, you know, they're the same. I mean, maybe they're the same species, but had nothing to do with Kelly. But hey, I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe Lucky was lucky and or Billy Ray got a good off, good shot off and actually got one of them or two of them, you know, maybe you know, the military covered the bodies and took them to Florida. So there you go. I know. I know. I said earlier. <clears throat> in the evening that I couldn't think of another uh, another case that had, you know, these, these kind of floppy ears, and yet you surprise me. And you know what? This this whole Kelly incident has been covered on so many different podcasts and shows. Oh, yeah. I want to stick my neck out. I'm going to say we're going to be the first podcast that connect the Kelly incident with Jackie. I'm just going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say this is groundbreaking stuff, ladies and gentlemen. You're hearing it first. Uh that being said, I mean, maybe somebody's already made that connection, but... Um, you know, if, if they have, I haven't heard it. To the moon! Maybe they're from the moon! That explains it all! That explains the Jackie Gleason connection, right? Now, the Honeymooners, they were on in the 55, right? Uh, they were definitely on in the... F yes, yes, of course they were, because Back to the Future references. Them. Right, yeah, so there must have been... Maybe they were, like, getting the... Oh, who knows? This gets maybe, maybe they accidentally landed in Kelly, Kentucky, and they were trying to say, take us to Jackie Gleason. Apparently, Jackie Gleason was, like, he owned every single book that ever been published on UFOs up to that point, you know? Wow. Like, he was a huge UFO buff, for real. That's interesting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so very, very interesting. I love, I love when we get together and we <laughs> research a topic, whether it was on our old podcast or on this one. We would always seem to make some unusual connection that seems utterly brilliant when it happens. The the National Enquirer article is significantly different than a lot of other internet accounts of the Jackie Gleason story because other accounts have it where <clears throat> Nixon himself drives up to Jackie's house without Secret Service or anything. And like that's the version that I really hope is true because I just love the idea of like Nixon and Jackie driving in this like, you know, seventies car like to see <laughs> aliens. I just mm -hmm. 
Man, this episode's had it all. We had Jackie Gleason. We had Space Pancakes. Oh, my gosh. We had fairies. Oh, so good. Yeah. We have gone everywhere. I'm pumped. Yeah. And you know what? I tell you what. If if um, if this August, folks, the uh, the pandemic has still abated well enough, you may want to look up the Kelly Greenman days in uh in kelly kentucky they do it does happen i don't know for sure that it's happening this year um but take a look for it it does happen it's It's worth the visit i'm gonna say so the community has embraced it it sounds like maybe yeah okay yeah much much like the mothman festival you know there is one thing that it definitely seems like these encounters have given these these small somewhat at times impoverished areas it has given them something to create into revenue right right and and you know maybe that's just a nice byproduct of it i don't know yeah well anyway that is it for july we're in the middle of summer now i hope you guys are enjoying your summer i hope it's not too smoky or hot or anything and i hope you guys are getting some good time off try and take a vacation to look after yourselves stay hydrated um but that is it for this month folks we want to thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day and that clearly surrounded us back in 1955 if you have an experience you want to share with us, or if you have questions, feel free to email us at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at allnightgeeks. You can follow me at blueboxufo, and you can follow Seb at Clan and McMuffin. <clears throat> yes, subscribe to us, please, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and please be sure to rate and review us as well. And just as importantly, share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around, and we'd appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the prod- podcast. Big thanks to the ghoulies for letting us use hot rods from outer space. Maybe, you know, maybe these hot rods from outer space are putting out rainbow exhaust. I don't know. Uh, it's from their album Midnight in America. We got to use it as our intro and outro music. We're so appreciative for that. Give the ghoulies a follow on social media and hit up thegooliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, hey, we've also got merch. Uh, that's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. That's right, shirts, buttons, we've even got stickers. So go check that out. And huge thanks, of course, to Kate the Steam-Powered Mouse for doing the show's artwork. Um, with any luck, the pandemic is starting to uh, uh, work its way. I'm not so much into obscurity, but but into a more managed position. But you know what? It is still around. We still think it's very important for you to help out local artists, local business, wherever you are. Support them first, um, by all means. But if you want to throw a few bones our way, you can over at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Oh, I need to refill my water bottle, my friend. Uh, That is it for us this month. We will catch you next month. And in the meantime, get out and go find something weird. Good night. Yeah, hit it me, hit me with it. I'm at one hour, 37 minutes, and 49, 50, 51. 51, 52, 52, yes. Oh, good.